1: My name is Rich Schmidt. Here with Earl Kramer Brown. We're at uh, Nicholson Library at Linfield University. It's January nineteenth, twenty twenty-one. Earl, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question for you: Why wine? Why wine?
2: Um, you know, it, it's it's not a straight path for anybody. I don't I don't think unless they're born into it, which you know we have a few generations of that going on now in, in America, but. Um, my family purchased a, a business in Dundee in um, 85 86, and um, I came to work for them in the area in 87. And just kind of by osmosis, you know, hey, it's wine country and uh, they, their business, my mom would uh, cook meals for uh, lunches for uh, Dicky Rath, Ponzi, Let, you know, the Mm -hmm. pioneers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I met those guys when I was, you know, around 19. Um, I didn't really care about wine, but, um, you know, just kind of being around them. Uh, And then kind of fast forward to a few years later when um, I got married to my wife, Joanne. Um, She started working at a winery as a hobby job, um, and they asked me to help. Uh, on occasion, <laughs> very few occasions. And so um, I would go up there and help, and you know, I was like, yeah, whatever. And so we would get our little discount on the wine and kind of, you know, it was fun, nice social thing and, and uh, for weekends. And um, kind of fast forward where there was a, a manager, Steve Lutz, who owns Lene Winery, mm-hmm. but he came on at Chateau Benoit, which changed to Anomie, which is the winery we were working at uh, part time. And, uh, He started holding these uh, staff meetings which were fantastic we all look forward to them because there was great food and wine and 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 banter but he started having us do uh, blind tastings of different varietals from all over the world so we would expand our wine knowledge, and it's the first manager that had, had kind of done that for us. And, you know, after a couple of uh, those tastings, you know, we would do Merlot, we would do, we would do Pinot Noir, but from all over the world. Mm-hmm. It kind of clicked with me like, wow, there's something, something to this. I really, really like this. I really am enjoying these wines and, you know, the stories and, and where they're from, and you can kind of travel through, you know, uh, through wine. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit more forward, uh, my folks sold their, their, their properties, and um, I needed to get a job uh, outside of the family business. And um, I had done production and, and, you know, um, in, in the tasting rooms and, and um, off site mm-hmm. events mm-hmm. and things like that, and really enjoyed it. But what I really liked was selling. Um, so I decided I would pursue uh, a sales job with an Oregon winery, and um, so I started applying for for openings. And you know, I received quite a few interviews, but you know, they always told me I was second. I know I was like fifth or sixth, but you know, they always said I was maybe second or something like that. But I, di- I didn't have any distribution
1: experience, mm-hmm.
2: so you know, it was it was a, a learning curve there and a, and a little bit of uh, frustration. But I. I uh, I got online, you know, I talk, spoke to my wife and said, said, you know, I really want to do this, um, so what if we have to move? And she goes, it's fine, I'm in insurance, I can I can move. And so we uh, uh, got on the internet and got on wine jobs and started applying kind of all over the country and for uh, jobs at, at distributors or wineries or whatever we could and um, so I, Received uh, uh, an offer from an Italian wine import company out of New York uh, to handle the Oregon market, or to join the Oregon market. Not at that time, but to handle it. Um, and uh, um, I said to the to, to the owner, I said, "Well, I don't know anything about Italian wine." And he says, "Well, you know wine, and you're really interested in it, so we can get you up to speed." You know, mm-hmm. uh, so. That was 2005. That was my first uh, job and the distribution side, import side, mm-hmm. and um, you know that enabled me. It was boot camp for wine sales. It, it kind of thrust me into wines that I didn't know in a region that is you know considered very difficult to to most everybody and, and to myself, but I was able to immerse myself in, mm-hmm. in that country for, mm-hmm. uh, that job was uh, three years, and I was in the Oregon market, and I ended up being the manager and, and doing quite well, and I, I really loved it. Um, I really felt like I found a, a something that I, I really wanted to do, because um, it was interesting, you know, you're going to all sorts of, different, you're going to to stores and to wine shops and to restaurants and you're meeting all sorts of really interesting people and um, people that are happy to see you and people that aren't happy to see you. And, you know, you really have to, uh, you know, kind of morph into what what Mm -hmm. you need to for for the market. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my first year I wanted to say that I made a lot of money, $11,000. So you really had to love it (laughs) and you really had to have an understanding spouse Uh, but second year did pretty well Mm -hmm. and third year did really well Um, parted ways with that with that company and ended up working for a a local locally owned um, distribution and import company out of portland Mm -hmm. who then specialized really in french wines and some portuguese wines a little bit of spanish wines um, but not too much on the domestic side again, um, which I kind of knew anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I was able to travel to Italy. I was able to travel to Portugal. I was able to travel to France. Um, you know, through these companies, and 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 to me, that was that is still the best education for me to see it, to talk to the people. You know, to sell wine, you need to have passion for the product that you're selling. Um, so that, in that, means meeting the family, meeting the, mm-hmm. you know, learning the history. Um, really, you know, something that resonates with me is that, you know, I'm supporting families all over the world and in my local area um, with the imports. And then we also do have quite a few domestic wines as well and local wines mm-hmm. as well. But um, so that was my first. Two forays into uh, working in the in the industry, and um, but I was pretty frustrated um, because you know just like anybody else, I can do it better. I can do it better. <laughs> uh, so I was working in Eugene a lot, um, and I met um, a colleague down there, and he stayed one to two nights a week in Eugene, and I stayed one and two nights. A- a week in Eugene and we both had families and so he was pretty much the only competitor that I would hang out with. <laughs> so we would, we would go to dinner after, you know, working all day and commiserate and help each other out and all that and then um, he said he, his company was, that he was working for was going out of business and that he was going to start his own. And I said, well, nobody knows this but I'm going to start my own as well, um, you know. And, uh, you know, but I don't really want a partner or anything. And he goes, well, I don't want a partner. And I'm like, we should be partners then. (laughs) So we're not looking for a partner. And so we did. Uh, So I gave like a five months notice and and we started the paperwork in 2011 and started uh, Vertical Wine and Beer Company, which we wanted to locate here In McMinnville Um, you know lots of everybody else kind of locates in in Portland but um, you know I'd I'd spent years driving to Portland to to get wine out of a warehouse and things like that and I decided nah, you know the reps in Portland can drive down here and (laughs) and, uh, which they don't have to very often but um, so here we are um, going on nine years later um, Vertical wine and beer. We have, you know, quite a few employees and doing pretty well.
1: Excellent. We'll come back to that, but I got a few questions about the process along the way. You, sure. You mentioned uh, boot camp for wine sales. Yeah. What were some of the most important things you learned or had or, or had to learn in that process of, of selling wine? What what was unique about selling wine, and and what did you not know that you needed to know?
2: Well, I didn't really know much about the process of, of what goes on in uh, the chain stores, the retail end, where you know things are a lot of paperwork, everything has to be improved. Um, you have to have a very large insurance policy. You know a lot of a lot of the things that I just had had, had not known about, and you know I thought you just walk in and show them some wines and they like it and they buy it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they keep buying it, but. Um, You need to build relationships. Um, There's a lot of great, you know, competitors out there, great sales reps, great companies, a lot of great wine out there. Why should they buy from you? Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out, you know, a way to be, um, you know, uh, I guess, pertinent to them, Mm -hmm. you know, to be be where they're gonna look to you. So you can tell when you have a good relationship built when they start, you know, the customer starts calling you when they need something mm-hmm. versus you having to no. always you know mm-hmm. call them, uh, and also how hard it how hard it was into, you know you have to you know have some determination. I called a friend one one time on my way home from a full day, and he goes, "Well, how much wine did you sell today?" And I said, "I didn't sell anything and he said, "Well, what are you doing?" And i said, "Well I'm going home I've had it you know and he said, he said, you can't go home and tell your wife you didn't sell any wine. <laughs> Stop at some more accounts. And it was about seven o'clock in the evening, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm really tired. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I stopped at Nick's on my way home here. And uh, Jonathan was the buyer then and Nick was there. And um, I ended up selling them quite a bit of wine. And it was about you know nine o'clock when that happened, and so you know another thing I learned is just don't you know pigeonhole yourself into times you're not working, you're not working nine to five, mm-hmm. you're you're working weekends, you're working you know all the time. Mm-hmm. So you have to really love it because mm-hmm. you're living it. Um, but you know it's it's a life that you're not you know ever going to get super rich at, uh, but it is really a rich life. I mean the travel and the people and the food and the learning the wines all the time and kind of in empowering your customer to teach you about the wines you don't know. I mean, don't, don't, ever, don't ever go in there like you know mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than your customer does because they taste wine all day long with a lot of people. They, they, they're the experts, you know. You're, you're just there to facilitate, you know, some, mm-hmm. some goods and services for them. Um, so, that that was you know all that was just very interesting to learn and you know I grew up in the golf business so it was all uh, public oriented and 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 so I I'm able to talk to people uh, pretty easily so that that really helps because it is still nerve wracking when you want to go into a new account and you don't know anybody and you know you feel foolish a lot. <laughs> And you have to, you know, like feel foolish for a while, mm-hmm. like you're trying to find the buyer, and people are they they don't want to, you know. There's fifty, I don't know how many exactly anymore, but I'd say over fifty distributors, plus all the wineries,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in Oregon, trying to get that space.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. You mentioned Italy as being notoriously difficult uh, to. Is it what? What about Italy was was difficult? Uh, from your perspective, and, and how did you kind of overcome it? How did you learn the region well enough to sell it like you needed to?
2: Well, the immersion, you know, helped, and I was able to travel uh, through through the the, the importers. Um, I'm trying to remember how many. I think I've been to Italy eleven times. Oh, um, different regions, mm-hmm. um, so. What's notoriously difficult about it is all the different varietals. Uh, You know, you're basically going from the Alps to Africa. You basically are doing California with water, bodies of water on each side, so you have marine influences on, you know, both sides. So all these little microclimates, all these different varietals, all these different cultures all the way up and down, um, you know, from, you know, the north of, you know, Piedmont to down, down into Sicily, so they're completely different. They're Italians, but they're, you know, completely different cultures.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, you know, the, the thing about wine, and, and Italy specifically, but other, other regions as well, is is um, what's interesting about it is you're never gonna, going to master it. You know, these master psalms, they're, they've mastered it. <laughs> but there's very few people in the world that are going to... Master, and that's what keeps it interesting and fun. And I learn, I learn something new, new varietals. I'd say every day, you know, if not every week, I Mm -hmm. I learn something new. If I'm looking around, which I generally am, because you know, I am in charge of bringing in most of the most of the wines for our portfolio. Mm -hmm.
1: You talked a couple times about sort of the passion needed to sell wine. What's in, in your experience? I know most of your experience now is in selling wine, but What's different about selling wine than selling something else? What is? Why does it need the passion to sell it? What, what's different about it from your perspective? Why do you have to? Why do you have to sell the story so hard? Why? Why do people care about the story more than the product when you're when you're selling? Well,
2: I mean, if I'm if I'm in front of a customer and they're, you know, like a chemistry major, they're going to want to know the technical details of the wine. But that's very far and few in between. Most of the people are gonna, you know, it's gonna resonate with them when you're talking about um, a story about the area and the family and um, something that people can relate to and, you know, I think in America and we're very fortunate in Oregon to have such a great wine culture and food culture Mm -hmm. because they go together. Mm -hmm. And In other parts of the world, wine is not you know, really an alcoholic beverage. It's a part of uh, the culture and it's food. And, you know, they have a little bit of wine every day. You know, there's not this binge sort of mentality that, that we've had in, in America, uh, but it's really changing. And you know, I just feel very fortunate to be able to sell in Oregon
1: mm-hmm.
2: because I travel on other parts of the U.S. for tastings and things like mm-hmm. that. and, and um, you know the the west coast is very very cultured and and the east coast is as well but some some parts of the you know the middle country if it's not cab or chardonnay or something you know kind of kind of common they don't really think about it you know if we have a tasting here hopefully again <laughs> after the covid's over when you do tastings and you do like strange varietals like Pelavegra or or Frasier or some some sort of variety like that, in Oregon it seems to uh, engage people and they want to come check it out. You know they want to they want to find out what what it is. In uh, you know other parts of the country like Nah, I don't know what that is. You know so um, I just feel that the passion, especially in Oregon, mm-hmm. and a lot of very well traveled. Uh, You know we have a lot of people in the wine industry obviously here and food industry hopefully again Um, and so the the story like i said earlier resonates with them Mm -hmm. Um, yeah they, they they want a connection and and it's really fun to bring um Winemakers and owners from all over the world. We've had people from South Africa, from South America, from all over the world, and you know, bring them into Oregon, and um, they make a connection with with the buyers, and and um, it's pretty interesting to see people become friends from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I always wanted to do a follow that bottle kind of a, a documentary to where it goes from the people that are actually making Mm -hmm. the bottle in another country, um, doing the vineyard work, that family, and kind of all the way to where it's, uh, you know, the dock workers, like how much money a bottle of wine economically Mm -hmm. stimulates the economy. Um, And and locally too, I've been trying to set up some export. I've got some people in Italy Interested in some Oregon wines, but uh, there's been some difficult times with some lately. The tariffs, mm-hmm. so they're all mad at us, <laughs> and and um, also with, with with COVID, and it just wasn't the right time. And so, um, you know, that's just something I'm still going to be working on because there's uh, th- they're interested in Oregon wines in 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 Italy, in 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 France. You know, I have people from Alsace come visit and. We'll share some wines at a local restaurant, and they'll take them home and they'll use them in in their uh, judging their Pinot Noir. So, and with the International Pinot Noir Festival here, obviously, but they're yeah, and they're they they love coming to Oregon.
1: So, it's amazing to think of, of Italy and France being interested in Oregon wines. That's just an, yeah, an amazing, yeah, amazing statement.
2: Well, there's there's such great quality mm-hmm. here and now. I mean, you know, back. Back in, the, back in the 80s, there was a lot of uh, hobbyists and a lot of people really uh, discovering
1: mm-hmm.
2: on how to handle the Pinot Noir grape, how to handle their vineyards, um, and you know, there's just a lot of uh, super qualified people now, and, mm-hmm. and the wines are just fantastic in Oregon. Mm-hmm. so.
1: So tell me the difference um, for you and your pers- in your in your kind of experience. Uh, obviously, with as just, uh, you mentioned, all the different kind of people you interact with you interact with retail and with restaurant and with chain. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the kind of differences for you in selling to the different kinds of the different kinds of outlets. What, what, what are our customers looking for? Different things on the other end. Uh, are you having to sell a different story? What's the kind of differences for you as you prepare to go into a restaurant versus a chain store versus a wine shop versus you know etc
2: so verticals kind of specializes in independence you know we're not in all the chain stores we're not in um, any chain restaurants uh, which is another great thing about oregon is that we really have a huge independent uh, restaurant industry here Um, so You know, lately, since it's mainly retail, we've had to, you know, kind of change gears and bring in a few products that I normally wouldn't bring in, Mm -hmm. but they're working, and, um, you know. uh, So, for me personally, I I love opening new accounts. I love restaurants, I love meeting people and finding out, uh, you know, what their passions, what they're doing, why, you know, if if I walk into a place and I see a huge, you know, um, corporate truck parked out front, and um, a wine list that has been curated by a large <laughs> distributor, it's probably not the place, you know, for me, uh, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'll still try, mm-hmm. but it's probably not, you know, a place that I'm going to connect with. Mm-hmm. And so, when you connect with an account, um, you know you consider yourself allies with them. To where you know I'm, prom- as you might see, I'm promoting local restaurants and independent restaurants and people that support us. It's symbiotic relationship, really. It's not just it's not just the sale. It's it's you know promoting that place. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very simple. as if they're successful, you're successful. So, um, so you can. You know, people can make money and do things correctly and support each other
1: mm-hmm.
2: long term. More of the European model. Mm-hmm. And and what's becoming now the American model too, I think, in, in in Oregon. So
1: when you started vertical, obviously you had had experience and, and your partner had, had experience. So tell me what you wanted to do. I mean you've described a little bit of sort of vertical's ethos so far, but Tell us what you wanted to do with, the, with Vertical, what your kind of goal was when mm-hmm. you set it up, and, and what, you, what kind of lessons you had learned that were either things you definitely wanted to do or definitely wanted to not do with Vertical as you were starting it up.
2: So I'd say that the Vertical was born out of uh, two sales reps' frustration uh, of management. <laughs> and you hear this a lot in a, different, in a lot of different industries as well. Um, so that you know it's pretty pretty simplistic but that that really was the the basis for us wanting to do that we had you know uh, kids and mortgages and 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 needed to make a living and you were under the uh, you know and we, it was as a, as a sales rep uh, there's different structures and I've always been 100% commission and now that I own my own business I'm really under commission <laughs> But, um, you know, my business partner and I were, were under you know commission, so what we need is is consistency in products to sell. Mm-hmm. So you work really you know really hard to get a, a wine in, by the glass at a restaurant, which, like I said, there's four or five of them, and there's a lot of people wanting those. so you finally you know uh, get uh, wine by the glass, and your manager up above decides nah, we're not gonna work with that wine anymore. We're not gonna work with that wine, for whatever reason, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we just both felt like we were, we were working for different companies, but we felt, you know, like uh, we, were, we were going uphill a lot. Um, so what we wanted to do is, um, you know, create a company to where we would be respectful of that sort of work that our, our sales reps did. Mm-hmm you know, we can only do what we can do, but, but to, to try and be respectful of, of their hard work and, and keep things as consistently as possible and communicate and tell them the reason why um, things were or weren't going to be in stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it was really just born out of frustration and, um, and we wanted to create jobs. You know, and I joke like the, the, the best thing about the business is creating jobs. And what's the worst thing? though? Well, employees. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, during this whole, I you know you're gonna ask about COVID later, but during this whole COVID thing, so um, we were about 40, 40% on-premise restaurant. So we've really taken a hit and had to retool and do things and, and and we've done a great job like the staff has just done a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have experienced sales reps, which really has been helpful but um, it we we didn't lay anybody off and you know I heard story after story of story of large corporations laying a lot of people off and we're you know quite frankly they can afford not to have to do that but I get it. You know, it's a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but to us, it was—we didn't, we didn't lay anybody off, not one person. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we're pretty proud of that. So I guess it's just a couple of sales reps wanting to uh, stay in the business, stay what we're doing because we love it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and do it, and create our own chaos, <laughs> do it our own way. <laughs> you know, because it's not all cake and party hats. <laughs> It's a business. There's a lot of non-fund things, uh, which I would say would be logistics, mm-hmm. um, taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all laws, the way they're written right now, are advantageous towards small corporations. You know, you see in other states to where uh, there's terms, there's uh, discounts for large buy-ins mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which in Oregon, um, you know, I think, I think the playing field is, is set to where, um, you know, I, I would say we we're probably a medium distributor now. We're not really that small anymore, but we're not, not anywhere near, you know, the, the top guys. Mm-hmm. But they do more in a day than we do all year. But, um, but I, as sometimes i get a little frustrated with some of the, the laws, but. I I really I really think that it's set up uh, fairly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right now,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know. So um, a small business like ours couldn't couldn't really make it very well in a, in a in a state where it was you know they had three big guys and you know then it's a hobby <laughs> it's not a living
1: so. So, take us through, um, from your perspective, sort of the distribution process, or sort of the nuts and bolts of distribution, and, and how you how you learned it, and it, and what if anything has changed in distribution since you've been a part of it. What what are the what does it look like now versus what it looked like when you started?
2: Well, you know, working for a, a specific importer of a of a you know Italy versus what I'm doing now um is you know i learned that to survive you have to be diverse you have to be able to change whereas the company i worked for initially very rigid um with minimums and things like that mm-hmm. um y- and when i when i started it seemed like people were your 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 competition uh that they were uh, respectful, nobody tried to steal each other's brands, they were actually helpful. That's changed a lot, there's been some big companies that have come into the state, you know, and kind of changed the landscape. Um, There's a lot of uh, people that, I would say maybe it's just out of desperation that that instead of doing what they do and paying attention to what they do, is they, they see success of other, companies, and they try and take that brand, and you know, and it's it's just a lot of of changes like that, and Mm -hmm. a lot of big, a lot of importers that are merging with each other, and a lot of buyouts, and um, yeah, it's just things that I don't really enjoy, Mm -hmm. but it's just part of the business now, and and, um, I can say that we've never tried to steal a brand from anybody you know if someone's not happy with us there's no contract they can go wherever they want and if they want to be with us they come with us and I feel like that you know is 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 the organic way to to have a, a business and sleep at night <laughs> so I mean what I just see I just see the changes is that it's really competitive and people aren't really um, respectful of it's not all, but there's just there's there's just definitely a, a, a group out there that is, is uh, I guess just it's big business, just, you know, so.
1: Has that changed for you how you how you approach things? I mean, you, you mentioned like you want to do it organically. Has it have you had to change because of that in any way?
2: We've had to uh, maybe change our philosophy on brands that we bring in Mm -hmm. you know like i said just just because of covid and because of the whole the retail thing that we've you know maybe brought in some brands that i wouldn't even have looked at before and they don't really have a great story and that but they have mass appeal um which is okay because you know as long as as long as I'm you know able to keep people employed and keep things going and and we can still support those families that we want to support mm-hmm. um, on the other spectrum and can continue to do that then then it's still a, a greater good. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so non COVID times, let's talk about kind of ideal ideal situation for you here. How do you how do you choose who you want to represent from on the on the wine brand perspective? Who who is it you're looking for? And how do you sort of approach bro- uh, brokering that that deal? Well,
2: a lot of times uh, they're coming to you. Um, as far as uh, the imports go, we work with uh, some. We work with importers that have that have brands. So we'll kind of taste through and see a gap in our portfolio to where you know we don't have something from Euro, we don't have something from Alsace, or. You know, we have one from Alsace, but we don't have a you know anything from the north or something like that. So we'll seek that out through our our current suppliers, and then also um, we'll have recommendations from uh, from other wineries mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, you should check these guys out." So it's mainly word of mouth and a lot of uh, a lot of hard work tasting wine, <laughs> uh, which is. You know, which is also pretty funny. Right now at, at at the office, one of the reasons we're we're doing it here at the beautiful Linfield campus is uh, that uh, I have probably 78 wines on my table that I need to taste through of samples that people have sent me,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and people are like, "Oh, that must be tough." And it's like, you sit down and like judge 36 wines in a row and judge them to where I, I mean, I. Yes, I like this, but can I sell it?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and if I if I can sell it, then who can I sell it to? Who needs this wine? Uh, right now, I'm trying some Australian wines. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. You know, I used to 2007, 2008. We used to, we had a we had an Australian wine that um, we couldn't keep in stock, and the kangaroo came along. <laughs> and, you know, kind of uh, kind of hurt the Australian wine industry. Um, it helped it, but it hurt it, mm-hmm. you Because know. there's a lot of g- really great, small producers in that country. So right now, that's the that's thing is we don't have a lot of those and I'm seeing that there aren't a lot of those out on the market. Um, so I'm searching out to bring in maybe four or five. So that's one region that I'm gonna bulk up a little bit this year and I don't know if it'll work or not you know it's not manufacturing people aren't saying I need 22,000 bolts you know next month Mm -hmm. its pretty much (laughs) hand-to-mouth the sales reps go out and try and get placements so I don't know if I'm answering everything correctly because I got Babylon this
1: is perfect I'm I'm curious you mentioned you kinda have two different sort of methods. You talk about, you have a story to sell, whether it's the the brand story, you also have the the actual wine itself. When you're tasting, and you mentioned tasting, but can I sell this? What is it you're tasting for? I mean, you Mm -hmm. you obviously you've tasted a lot of wines in your life. What is it you're tasting for? What determines if you think you can sell it or not?
2: Well, I I kinda simplify it down to balance. Um, We don't really have cocktail wines in our portfolio. We we kind of go back to the the food and wine to where we we need a we need a wine that has some acidity that'll go with food. We need a wine that's not gonna be over oaky, overpowered. So you know, really just a balanced wine and that's that's that's, you know, it's perspective I guess, but you know, tasting through a lot of wines and, and my palate is geared towards uh, wines that are maybe a little lower alcohol, a little softer, a little subtler, which is great because that's kind of coming back now, um, you know, the the 17%, 16%, you know, uh, wines mm-hmm. that are, uh, cocktail wines, juicy, kind of monolithic, we don't really search those out mm-hmm. um, We, in, in a sense of place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, So you know all the buzzwords that are being used, you know, sense of place and terroir and things like that. Yeah, definitely that that comes into play and also um, balance and then also price. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the 2008, everybody was selling lots of Chateauneuf de Pops and Sassicaia and I was selling Gaia and I was selling, you know, these really expensive wines. And then 2008 hit and we all had to retool had to regear um and i think that was really good because we discovered a lot of great wines that were uh, value priced mm-hmm. and everybody kind of discovered those and so that that kind of set the it's still what is kind of the standard now in you know Eugene and Portland and things in those in those shops is uh, you can find you know under $25 just really amazing wines and that came about it from economic hardship Mm -hmm. in in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that was good and you know, we still are selling, you know, five and six hundred dollar bottles of champagne, um, but we're selling much more Cremant still because people discovered the value. So, yeah. So yeah, I guess, what you know, just in a nutshell what I look for and I, just, I kind of simplify everything, but it's it's just balance you know i don't I don't want things to I don't want the oak to be too prevalent you know, and maybe that oak's gonna integrate later on, but mm-hmm. I need to sell it now mm-hmm. People aren't selling wine like they used to they want a little more you know a little more immediacy mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so and on the same track what do you look what do you find uh what do you look for in a story and what do you find sells well in terms of the store the brand story what 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 are people looking for when they're buying from you as you're selling their story
2: oh they're looking for uh history respect for the land um you know taking it back to just oregon is there were a lot of people that were small and started out and were experimenting and doing you know uh, making a lot of mistakes and making a lot of inroads and things like that. Uh, and then there seemed to be like you know Domain and come in and and you know kind of some of these bigger players in the world seen uh, invest money into Oregon and kind of come in and do these kind of larger, you know production mm-hmm. doing it amazingly well but doing you know there there were these bigger wineries that were put in and right now what you're saying is this little cottage industry of someone that worked at Domaine Serene or Domaine Druin that mm-hmm. after work is making wine you know a little gariste and and they're they're making wine and and now they're kind of coming about, and you know now they're up to two thousand cases, and so they're off on their own. And so there's a lot of that going on right now, and it's really interesting, a lot of different, interesting varietals stuff. So that's the kind of story that, that I think is great.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so with our wineries from, you know, domestically and, and internationally, that's the kind of stories I, I like to tell. I like to, you know, I was back at a, a, a winery in in. Northeastern Italy, and the father was telling me that he was five during World War II, and he was in charge of hiding the pigs from the Nazis. You know, things like that. I just, just, you know, Mm kind of, you know, and that's a short, little bit of stories like that that I hear all the time, all over Europe, and. So when you get to sit down with the mom and the dad and the son and the, and the and their kids, you know you've got three generations, and that winery started in 1625. You know, to me that's that's, uh, you know, I'll pour the wine and say they're kind of new at this, you know, since 1625, and now let's keep talking. And they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, um, and then you know, um, domestically the same thing. It's just. It, I like people that are kind of doing it right. Mm-hmm. People that are that are um, taking care of their employees and taking care of the land and and are, are making wine and you know you have to sell it. We have to pay the you know you have to you have to sell it. That's where we come in. You know we're the distributor. <laughs> people are like oh I have to pay you to do this now. You know but you know there's value in what we do mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, so. Yeah, that's just the kind of stories that that I like to hear and to tell and 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 you know, it legitimizes when you when you've been to the properties even even locally. Uh, I was doing a french tasting when I was working for this french importer and they were like, "Oh, have you have you been there?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't." And, you know, the whole demeanor changes. Like they're like, "Oh, you read it in a book." And I've been there and you haven't and and you're like, oh, yeah, I could feel that. That hurt, you know." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so when you, what you, I just still think that's the best way is just to go. Find a way to go to these places. Visit mm-hmm. them, talk to the people, because that's your best education. You can get the tech sheet off the internet. You can't get that story mm-hmm. and passion. You know, I was standing in a vineyard in Riberio, uh, Spain, and it was, it's terraced and they're really wide terraced and there's sheep standing in between the the grapevine rose and uh, the owner of the winery said said you know this this part of the vineyard here this was built BC and I'm like what and she's like yeah and so I have this great picture of me standing standing there and you know and I I use visual aid all the time when I'm out saying this is where this came from mm-hmm. you know and check this out this is BC and they're like what and you know the wine's great on top the wine has to be good too. but you know things like that, and there's just a short little story. and who wants to read a text sheet after that? Mm-hmm. You know not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but some people do. So so um, you know just those kind of those kind of stories.
1: You mentioned the, the 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 kind of the cottage industry in Oregon, the the small very, very small producers is mm-hmm. there? For your business, is there a minimum? Is there? A, does, do people have to make a certain amount of wine before you'll consider them? What's the kind of minimum barrier to entry before they can be distributed?
2: No, I mean, there's a lot of great wine out there. There's a lot of people that can make 100,000 cases very well, and there's people that make 500 cases very well, and, and the opposite. <laughs> um, so, to me, it's, it's it's at this point with, say if I'm gonna bring out an Oregon wine, um, it's very hard to build a brand right now. I mean, pretty much uh, because people aren't tasting, they aren't really bringing in a lot of new things, so it's gotta have some traction mm-hmm. as far as in the market right now. You know, and that's changed from before is where we, Consider ourselves brand builders, but you know, right now we have a, you know, we have some Oregon brands that are working, and and um, it's just not fair to the to bring on a winery and say we're going to build your brand because because of COVID, it's just very difficult to do that, and you know, I just think the wineries in Oregon um, have done a fantastic. Our our wine sales, Oregon wine sales are down. Because the Oregon wineries have done such a great job of directly dealing with this, what's going on with with doing specials and with their wine clubs and things like that, they've they've just done a great job. And and I I would I would encourage anybody to go straight to the winery and give them the money straight away. Um, you know, there's also stores that won't buy from a winery; they 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 only buy through a distributor. So you know, they still still need us, but you know, everything's kind of on a little bit of a pause for for us and local wineries Mm -hmm. Um, but i wouldn't say there's no no minimum no maximum it just you know it has to has to be a need Mm -hmm. it doesn't do us any good to bring on a brand that we can't sell Mm -hmm. and that's happened we've made many mistakes (laughs) (laughs) but if you're not making mistakes then you're not moving forward Mm -hmm. actually so sure yeah so
1: so you mentioned the name of the company, Vertical Wine and Beer. Obviously wine is not all you do. I'm, uh, you obviously have beers and ciders. Tell me. We you. do
2: beers and ciders. Um, so we sell in certain markets our local Heater Allen and Golden Valley our two um, local beers. And then we do some imports uh, from Slovenia, from uh, we we don't anymore, but we did sell beers from Israel. Um, we sell uh, what are our other beers right now? We're looking at a Portuguese beer. Um, anything that's a little different that um, you know, a it's got to be good and be uh, the need for it. You know, you've got a place like like you know, John's or you know these beer meccas. Uh, you you say I've got this 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 and this and they go okay, <laughs> you know because they want to carry mm-hmm. from all over uh, cider we carry a uh, slake Carlton Cider Works, and then we carry um, uh, a pomme from France um, so we're kind of we're kind of actually looking for ciders and we're actually looking for a, a mead we used to carry a mead and did pretty well with it. Um, so, kind of going back to specialty items that we do um, to to be unique in the marketplace. So.
1: So you've you have worked with in your career a lot of different regions, and of course now you're working with a lot of different regions in wine and and beyond. Mm-hmm. How do you go about staying up to date with all the things you need to know and, and, and all, the tastes, all the things you have to taste from all these different places? How do you kind of keep it in your head? How do you uh, keep tabs on all the different comings and goings in all these different regions?
2: Uh, I read a lot um, and then uh, suppliers keep me up to date. Um, as far as you know, trends go, sometimes I skip those. Uh, because uh, in the beginning of our, of our company, we did do a lot, of, a lot of those, and it's good for a little while, and then, you know, it's a trend, it goes away. And so that's, that's why kind of doing the long haul, the European model of, of, of uh, there's a lot of varietals that people are discovering. There's a lot of hot, you know, uh, orange wines and, and natural wines and, you know, what that means. And uh, most of our wineries are using native yeast, are what I consider organic or biodynamic. We have uh, um, Demeter certified wineries, things like that. Mm. We don't list them. We don't push that as far as I've seen some other companies do because it's our job to show the wines to our customers and then to tell them that. And to tell that story mm-hmm. and how it's done um, instead of like just a catalog where there's a green leaf or whatever people would, would do. Same with points, things like that. We don't list those. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone wants to know, we tell them. Um, but we just feel like that's more of an organic way to present um and uh you know natural wines are just kind of the way they used to do it um so if you can take that and all the technology we have today you know and make a making a great wine i'm all for it but i've tasted a lot of not so great great ones um and yeah, I don't get it. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> that's a trend. Uh, you know, we're not doing. We're just sticking with our. You know, with our formula of this is this is an they use native yeast. This is Demeter, Demeter certified. This is this is a this is an organic. This is a natural wine. Mm-hmm. But it's clean. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's clean. That's my. That's my not-so-passionate way of putting
1: it. <laughs> him. Anyway. Um, you mentioned points. Um, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, obviously, that was a, that's always been a huge thing in the sale of wines, but we are sure. hearing that that's less uh, prevalent now than it used to be. Is it still something you're selling on or, or finding people are interested in, or has that started to wane a little bit when you're out selling, uh, selling brands?
2: Well, there are definitely, um, There are definitely people that want to hear about the points and want to buy on the points. Uh, It's less prevalent than it used to be. Um, You know, someone sitting down, tasting, I don't know, 600 wines. uh, You know, in my opinion, the wines that are appealing to me with some acidity and, and not so what i'd say smash mouth not everything so up front and in your in your face uh, those wines are not going to score very well because they're going to really stick out as acidic you know in a in a in a lineup of wines that are kind of juicy and nice and plush and and uh and nothing against those it just you know it's just not really my style. but the the wines that i generally so there's certain um Reviewers that I respect, and others that I don't. Um, but um, I, th- I think I think it's still useful because there's there's you know you're not born drinking wine. I mean, unless you're Italian. <laughs> uh, but you're you're it's a process. You know, I started drinking wine. It was sweet wines and. Inexpensive wines and syrupy wines, and you kind of you kind of progress, and and uh, your palate is what matters. So I don't I don't know if you want some guy in New York telling you, or California, or Oregon, or wherever, telling you that this wine is fantastic and you should drink it and you should like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should like it. You should try it and you should like it. So. Um, and as long as you're drinking wine, you know, I don't care w- what it is. There's some great wines that are in, in bag-in-a-box now, and some people are like, oh, bag-in-a-box, I'll never drink that. It's like, okay, don't. Um, and there's wines that have, you know, Stelvins screw caps on them that are fantastic, and Australia's been using them for a long time, and are finding that it's aging. There's a little micro going on. Um, that they're doing well. Mm-hmm. But there are people that won't drink wine that has a screw cap on
1: it, you know, and. Or out of a can.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, uh, to me, wine is should be fun. And that just takes it to where it's not fun. You know, you don't wanna go to a, I mean, I don't wanna go to a, a fine dining every night. And I don't wanna go to a taco, taqueria every night either, you know, I like to do different things, mm-hmm. so. I don't limit myself to to white wine or to red wine or to sparkling wine or to sweet wine or dry wine. I, I it's a balance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. Mm-hmm. So so points they do matter, but not to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're succinct. I like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, what other, what else? What other changes have you seen in the selling of wine? What are, what you mentioned trends obviously, but kind of as as the through line. What is different about selling wine now to you? Uh, What's different about the process? What's different about um, the buyers, the sellers? Or has it stayed kind of the same throughout your career?
2: No, um, I'd say there are a lot of uh, buyers now that are not, passionate and i think that's more of the corporate scenario there's a lot of i'd say wine stewards that maybe want to be passionate and want to um, you know be that be that person that recommends that wine to that customer that really uh, turns them onto a certain thing and gets that trust going to where they're gonna ask them all the time mm-hmm. about that wine. But maybe they're under a lot of stress with paperwork and dealing with employees and, de- you know, there's just a lot of, you know, outside sources now on everybody to where the wine steward used to be. Like, You're, that's your job is to bring in that Varietal that no one's heard of, and get it in their hands, and get them to like that, and and that's how you that's how you get a customer is you get them to trust you, and and get get them coming back and saying, what do you recommend? You know, you see it all the time, stewards' recommendations. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that because that they've tasted that wine and they're really recommending that, and it has nothing to do with uh, what they've gotten from the distributor or. Importer or anything like that it has to do with them really interested, or they just went to Europe and, mm-hmm. and sourced these wines and found them and brought them back, and they can tell that story to their... I've just I've just seen that change a lot. Um, 2008 as well, there were a lot of uh, certified sommeliers, and um, then all of a sudden the waiter, nothing against you know the wait staff, but. They had a passion for wine and they would do it for free because they got to try all the wines with the the reps and pick the wine list. And it was, you know, it's very, very proud of it. Um, But um, they weren't as maybe educated and educated on the floor, Mm -hmm. uh, which they are now. But I just saw that that kind of part of the business dipped down and then it was coming back. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be tough again because what do you cut at your restaurant
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know that 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 guy that's getting a piece of your your wine sales and that's picking them out and is really good or that you know that that staff member that's passionate about it but mm-hmm. it's gonna do it for free mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So. well on that note we have obviously we've talked about COVID quite a bit today and obviously a, a huge impact on the industry in general Tell me about it from your perspective. You mentioned sort of having to kind of pivot on the fly because of how much of your wine was being sold to restaurants. Yeah. So tell me how you've, how you've managed, how, you, how your company has, has managed, uh, what you've kind of, what are the changes you've made and, and what you see in the future as we ca- start coming out of the pandemic with, with restaurants and with the wine distribution.
2: Well, I mean, you know, if I, if I told you all the secrets about What's going to happen after COVID? I wouldn't. I'm not going to be as rich as I'm going to be after that. (laughs) I I have no idea, you know, because things keep changing, Um, and that's that's the consistent thing is that things keep changing. We've got some uh, some restaurants that are their menus either geared or they've retooled it to do the to go Mm -hmm. and they do outside and kind of shrunk stuff down and and they are uh, doing a pretty good job of wine to go, and now they have the cocktails to go. Uh, You know, any any little thing helps. And then there's other restaurants that just didn't work, you know, they tried it. Um, Or for them to do outdoor seating, they can only do so many tables, and they'll take in $700 and it costs them 2,000 to operate. So it's easier for them to to kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. But as far as uh, our company goes, we had some, you know, you, January, February. We're re-upping on, on our supplies, on our stock, on our inventory. So we had one, one restaurant group, uh, local Portland, uh, but they had three restaurants. And that buyer, uh, it had taken me five years and finally it was, you know, in with the buyer and doing well and really uh, liked our products and so we brought in a sparkling nebbiolo well you know i'm ordering a couple of pallets of it because he's pouring it by the glass at three restaurants you know they're going through a lot stopped
1: mm-hmm.
2: so times that by 40 percent of our business we had a lot of inventory uh, of things that weren't really geared towards retail so we had to worked very hard, the sales reps worked very hard to build that into our retail set and it took a long time to get through that inventory and then you're talking to the, the winery, you know, in, in Italy and saying, Yeah, it was a great order in February, but that's probably gonna be it this year. Mm-hmm. And literally we just reordered that wine. Just two days ago. You know. So you know, you times that by. We have seven hundred and some SKUs. Not all restaurant stuff, mm-hmm. but we did have quite a few wines like that, to where we had major inventory. Um, so, just working with the suppliers, and that's that's where it comes down to uh, relationships.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that that the importance of that to where you're working with suppliers, and and uh, you know, they're they're being very supportive because we've been with them since the beginning and I was I was with a lot of the suppliers that we have in our portfolio with other with the two other companies I worked for they followed mm-hmm. me or I said hey I'm starting my own and they go oh, we're going with you." Um, so our sales reps and our uh our, our delivery people you know I told everybody if you don't feel comfortable out working in the marketplace then then don't
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know you're, you you have that option, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll hire you right back when things get get better, but go on unemployment if you need to if you don't feel safe and everybody stayed working mm-hmm. everybody every single person did and and you know so that to me was uh, very uh, i don't know felt really good mm-hmm. um, so everybody kept working, and um, my expectations <laughs> went down <laughs> because, you know, whereas before someone would be selling X amount a month, or we'd have goals for them for X amount a month, I don't, I don't have those anymore. You know, I have, so there's nine, nine of us mm-hmm. out, out selling, and um, so we just all need to do the best we can, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Are there changes you've made during the pandemic that you anticipate keeping? Are there things you've done that to, 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 to kind of cope with it that you think will be kind of part of the permanent model for your business or are you kind of planning to go back to where you were as soon as you can?
2: Well, when the restaurants are opened back up again, um, it's gonna be a brand new, Brand new game. We're gonna have to rebuild that whole, whole portion of uh, our customer base because a lot of them aren't gonna be around. Um, a lot of them have different, different buyers now, so it's a new relationship. Uh, what we're trying to do now is is to stay in their radar. If they're doing food to go, if they're doing you know the the outdoor seating, whatever, um, is just it's just being there for them. Um, in terms of uh, sending people there, supporting them, Mm -hmm. buying gift certificate once in a while. Uh, You know, hopefully they're buying a little bit of wine. Uh, A lot of them are trying. Um, But it's kind of a, I don't know, you don't want to be like this wine vulture kind of, you know, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. we need to stay in business, they need to stay in business, and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of that, you know, that that velvet touch of being there, but also like, hey, we need to sell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, the reality is, is we all we all need to bring in some income. So, but just trying to be there, to do what we can, um, on us on you know whatever small level. Our our sales reps all have a have a food budget, and I haven't been getting any receipts lately. And I said, go out and you spend that at your accounts. You know, go go buy food to go. Mm-hmm. You're, you gotta eat <laughs> yeah. mm. I'm paying for it <laughs> mm. so uh, and it's not a huge budget <laughs> but but they do have one, mm. and we've kept that throughout as well mm. just and same, just go buy a gift card if you if they're not open you know so so I just say i don't I don't know what it's gonna look like uh I do know with 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 our relationships and with our our sales reps being very experienced and in the industry for quite a while that we'll be okay. You know, we'll we'll do all right. We we. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited, obviously, for this to be over and to get back to it. And you know, I've always traveled around the state and and worked with my sales reps and and and. Said I'm going to be in the market. I'm going to pour some wines um, because I like to. I like to know all our customers. I don't know all of them, but I like to know as many as, as as I can, and stay in contact and have them feel like that they can get a hold of you know Tony or myself at any time. Um, there's not a lot of owners that are that do that. My parents taught me that. You know, you, It's more important than ever for you to show your face. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that we do is a little different. So sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not.
1: <laughs> I suppose that depends on the face. I that's guess. right.
2: That's right. It depends on <laughs> the face for that day.
1: So uh, what do you kind of see as you look ahead then for the future for for yourself and and for vertical? What what are your kind of sort of benchmarks coming up uh, next five ten years? What are you hoping for? What are you what are you looking anticipating?
2: Well. We would like to be, you know that, that mid-level um, distributor and importer that can still uh, be flexible and, and, and go with changes and roll with changes, uh, not be rigid. Um, you know, the portfolio probably won't grow exponentially. Because, you know, you go from from uh, nothing to, you know, seven hundred and some SKUs and you know, there's people that drop out and drop in. So I think it I think it's kind of a it's a good it's a good level. So we're not gonna expand a lot. You know, there's um, you know, I'll probably fall into a couple more trends. It's just, you know it's just what I do sometimes. <laughs> but but um yeah, I don't, I don't, I really don't, I really don't know because of this year. You know, we kind of had a had a had a plan um, to be at a certain uh, income level to where uh, at that income level we make some money, can retire. You know, at some point. You know, um, my my daughter's in college. My my son's finishing up high school and and works with us at the warehouse and. He's kind of interested, but maybe not. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, a couple more sales reps and, and a little more wine, but hopefully a little more income than than this year. But yeah.
1: You talked earlier about the 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 idea that uh, Europe is now interested in importing Oregon wine. I'm, Mm-hmm. I'm curious, when you, when you started with the industry, um, A, what were kind of your initial impressions of Oregon wine? What, 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 did you, what did you think of the industry at the time, and what are the biggest changes you've seen, and did you ever anticipate in your career seeing something like that, where Oregon wine was at a point where foreign countries were interested in importing it?
2: Well, when I started in the industry, like I said, I, I really wasn't into wine that much until maybe a couple of years afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um so I have seen just the just you know the, the Oregon wines just improve so much. Um you know, look at the Chardonnay, not not only the Pinot Noir, but look at what they've done with with the Chardonnay and with other varietals, people are doing Gruner leaner, you know, things like that. But if we're just gonna stick to the Pinot Noir and the in the Chardonnay, um I would say the International Pinot Noir Celebration has really helped uh, garner some interest in the world. Uh, and, uh, no, I don't know. I never, I, I, I remember telling people there's 300 wineries in the Oregon wine industry. I remember talking to uh, Jesse Lang, saying, who's putting in that vineyard over there? And it's right next to their property. He's like, I don't know. I'm like, really? So, kind of at that point, and that was about 300 vineyards, you know, 300 wineries at that time. Um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of work down in Southern Oregon, and pff, it's a whole,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's a whole other world down there, and they're they're making great strides as well. Um, probably 15 years ago, I wouldn't really have said that I enjoyed the wines from down there, and now I I really do. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're just, mass improvement all over with with farming, you know, is where it starts. Farming and then um, you know, people making uh, clean wines, mostly <laughs> great wines. Um, so, mm-hmm. but you know, my palate's not the, you know, the end-all, be-all palate, you know, and I don't ever think that. You know, I have my have my preferences and, and other people do as well, and I respect that
1: mm-hmm. so what about f- as you look ahead for the future of the, of the Oregon industry, what do you see down the line come what, what are the trends you're seeing maybe or um, do you see in the, the size the growth uh, continuing or what, what what kind of is your crystal ball for the future of oregon wine
2: <laughs> i 'll take the zero on that one I really don't know i mean i I'm amazed every Every year, at how many places are going in, and people are investing, and you know, I'm really excited about uh, what the wineries have done during this COVID to keep their doors open. Um, everybody's had to get creative on every level of our industry, and and for the most part, people have. I mean, there's a few people that, oh, you know, like they're just they just have their way, and they're not going to change, and. And others have just really uh, done done some great things, and and uh, yeah, I just I just I just see uh, a lot of young people that are very passionate about um, wine and food again, and so I'm very hopeful for mm-hmm. the Oregon wine industry. Um, you know, the older generation of you spoke about the points and things like that. That you know, I guess it would be more uh, luxury, ego-driven, that there are those, but I feel that there's a lot more cottage, a lot more uh, people that are passionate about food and wine more than they are about showing off to their friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful for that. I'm really glad that the, the farming practices have gone to as organic as people can get and that they've you know, discovered that on their property that the east side that there's no wind movement and there's shade and there's disease pressure and that varietal doesn't work there, but this one does, that they've had enough time to kind of discover that about their own properties, which you know, on one piece of property there's all sorts of different microclimates as well. And and so, you know, um, I think that's really... Help with the quality as well as the the farming. A lot of those great farmers out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. what uh, if someone were to come to you and say they wanted to join the Oregon wine industry in, in some capacity? What would your words of wisdom to them be? Well, what I've
2: you know what I've uh, said to people because like, people do ask me that is I'm like well what do you want to do you know when you have the Linfield students come talk to me you know I'm like well what do you, what do you guys, what do you wanna do in the industry? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes down to uh, financial with people and sometimes it comes down to, as, as I see, I'm like, go, go go work harvest, go you know do the production, work in the tasting rooms, do every part of the business you can. So you're a well-rounded individual. Uh, apprentice on your own if you have to if you're if you can 't go through this program here at Linfield you know a- apprentice wherever you can you know my my path was not my education was basically head first and um, going you know visiting visiting the properties learning about it firsthand, um, mm-hmm. I tell people you know that are in the industry you need to go to Europe that's why this industry is here you know you need to go just check it out learn about the past and you're the future and um, they're like, well I can't I'm like you need to find a way mm-hmm. find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only paid for a couple trips myself. I couldn't do this on my own. My, my suppliers pay for me to go. That's, that's how they've invested in me. And I, in turn, bring back that passion and, and sell their products. So it's very, mm-hmm. it's very symbiotic as well. Uh, but I found a way to go. And there's always a reason, there's always something to say, well, I can't because I have to do this. I can't do that. It's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Totally worth it. Completely worth it. I mean, even if you're like, one trip was 17 days in France, three to four wineries a day. I called it France by night. It was a death march, (laughs) you know, but it was worth it. You know, you come back and people are like, "Oh, you're a distant France." You're like, "Oh, whoa, yeah, I was." <laughs> we end up in the hospital once, uh, but uh, that's the other thing. When you're on these trips, spit the wine out. Don't eat everything and don't drink everything, because <laughs> your body is not used to it and the, the time change. But And then there's been some very civilized trips as well to where it's one winery and you have free days and you get to, you know, walk around Verona and, and you know, it's just it's, it's, wonderful. Mm-hmm. it's wonderful. And the people that you meet on those trips are, uh, you know, I have people all across the world and all across the United States that are in the business that we're friends. Mm-hmm. We went on a trip, we spent a week together
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we've helped each other out ever since. So, um, there's something that uh, I guess it'd be like you know, camp or something. You know, when you when you meet that special person that you you know connect with, and you're in a situation where you know, oh, I guess we're roommates. (laughs) I don't know you, but we're roommates. So, um, yeah, that's a pretty cool part of it. Definitely, I met a lot of great, just amazing people, Mm -hmm. like just. Just, they've taught me so much.
1: Yeah. So. All right. So all the questions that I have for you—is cool. anything that I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here that we should uh, have. I'll covered? probably
2: think about it later. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's I babbled on enough. I think so.
1: The perfect amount of babbling. Yes. Right. Great. Well, I
2: appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. We appreciate Thank your you. time. Appreciate the stories and, and the advice. And it's such an interesting part of the industry for us that it's it's nice to have some kind of Some mysteries unlocked, I think, from the distribution side. So thank you. We really appreciate it. And we'll let you off the hook. Okay, cool.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.